You are Locked On Knicks, your daily podcast on the New York Knicks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Shot blocked. Porzingis with his fourth rejection. What he does is contagious. He comes in fetches and across the lane. Baker launches it. Jack to Porzingis. Fires up the ball. Welcome everybody to Lockdown Knicks, the podcast that's in the 99th percentile of explaining, complaining, and entertaining. I'm your host, James Marcina, aka the Provolone Ranger. You may know me as the founder of NBA Injury Report on Twitter. And this is episode 296. On today's show, I'm joined by Ashwin Ramnath. You may know him as Schwinny Poo on Twitter of Daily Knicks. And we're going to talk about the coaching search as we must. Juwan Howard was the 10th coaching candidate who the Knicks interviewed. We're going to talk about him a little bit. We're going to talk about the process the Knicks have been undergoing. And Schwinny and I are going to discuss why... They've been doing it the right way. Stop complaining, guys. Not you. I mean, if you're listening, you you listen to this show, you're smart, you're informed, you get it. But tell your stupid friends to stop complaining because the Knicks are doing the right thing. It's a good coaching search. I love this coaching search. And we're going to talk about the process the Knicks have undertaken and why it makes sense. We're also going to start our year in review where we go through the entire roster and the coaching staff and the management and discuss how they did this year. So today, we're starting from the bottom of the totem pole with the two two-way players that the Knicks had, Luke Cornett, Isaiah Hicks. We're going to talk about their positives and their negatives from this past season. We're going to give them a grade, and then we're going to say whether or not the Knicks should keep them. All right, let's start the show. Hit it, Marv! Yes! So Jawan Howard, current assistant with the Miami Heat, 45-year-old, he of the 19-year NBA, NBA career. Would you call it distinguished? Was it a distinguished career? It was like not distinguished, but it was a it was a career. I mean, it wasn't a bad career and it wasn't a great career, but it was a solid career. It was a solid career. He had a long above average, right? I mean, anytime you're there 19 years, that's above average. I mean, he did something, right? Yeah. So, anyway, Juwan Howard, he has been uh reportedly interviewed by the Knicks. He is the 10th candidate that we know of. That has been interviewed by the Knicks. The Knicks, in interviewing 10 whole candidates, is this a case of them disgracing you know, themselves and the game of basketball and the human race yet again, Ashwin? <laughs> like, how, hor- how horrified are you that the Knicks have interviewed 10 whole candidates? Uh, not horrified at all. <laughs> I'm actually like really happy about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, because they, they said, you know, like, we're going to take our time. We're going to have a process. And most of the time when the Knicks say they have a process, they're full of shit. But, um, no, it seems like they, they're they saying – they. I mean, people always have complained that the Knicks are not transparent. They don't communicate. Well, I mean, not that they're going to tell you everything. that. Like, clearly, they're not going to tell us, you know, what they talked about in these interviews or anything. And uh, that's natural. But – I mean, they were pretty transparent about what they were going to do and how long. I I think they even said at the exit uh, 
when the their press conference after uh, letting Hornacek go that you know whatever they did do was going to take it wasn't going to happen immediately and it was going to take some time and they had a process so I feel pretty good about them uh, interviewing a lot of people and I've been pretty satisfied with everyone they've interviewed outside of one person who we don't need to talk about because no, we've talked about him a lot on this pod too much definitely, <laughs> definitely too much I just it's you know, obviously, I asked that question firmly, tongue-in-cheek, but maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but there has been just this kind of groundswell. Like, I guess there's always a large camp of people just, like, pissed at whatever the Knicks do. And I guess it's, like, been 95% warranted for the past 20 years or so, but, it like, in this situation, I can't even... I feel like it's people who maybe have never had jobs or... <laughs> Yeah, so like had to hire people because like I tweeted about this, but like I you know I work for an educational publisher and like you know it's not anywhere near as serious as like running the Knicks in terms of how much money is at stake. You know it might be more serious in terms of giving knowledge to the people, but you know like for just normal positions like this interviewing this number of people is like normal. Like interviewing this over this period of time to me is like very normal. If anything, like I was thinking about it, like I feel like the Knicks are actually doing it like perfectly i can't you know we'll see who they hire but like you don't want it to be super quick you don't want it to take forever because you have like things to get going to me like the timeline's been good the number of people has been good and then you hear that they're um doing background checks on blatt and buttonholzer so far and that to is me it is buttonholzer is a buttonholzer you know i like I, I i've heard people say buttonholzer I'm pretty sure that's right. I know that you're your own man, though. But I just want, like, don't I get to decide that it's Buttonholzer? Like, it's got to be Bud. Yeah, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm, I can roll with either one. I just want to know. I just want to know what to expect. I've heard, I, I have heard it announced Buttonholzer, but I've heard Bud, too. So, I don't know. Yeah, so, I think, like, the, uh, I think a lot of the angst this time is a little, it's, it's kind of interesting because, uh, so, I have a theory that, one, uh, sports fans are just, in general, they're they're still stupid. Like, as a whole, we're still stupid as sports yeah. fans. Mm-hmm. But our stupidity is much different now, and it's a lot more nuanced. So, you know, I mean, even though there was this weird, like, sub-segment of Russian Twitter bots that was all about Mark Jackson, um, <laughs> like, I just think that from what I saw on social media and just, like, various forums there wasn't this huge groundswell of, you know, God, we got to get Mark Jackson in here or anything because he's a New York guy and New York culture and whatever. Like, I think most people, as soon as Budenholzer came, uh, became available, once they, they realized that, you know, most people kind of were like, okay, no, no, this is the guy. I think, like, I, that's what I've seen, at least on social media, that, oh, yeah, yeah no, this is the guy. Like, forget the, you know, winning the headline, all that stuff that the Knicks yeah. have done in the past. This is the guy. Um, so... What's interesting is that I think this is the first time where what the vast majority of fans want would actually be relatively, like, it would be kind of a smart thing. Because mm-hmm. I think most of the time when, when and I'm, I'm including myself here, I'm not saying, like, I'm above this, because I, as much as anybody else, was excited when, you know, uh, they hired Phil Jackson to run the front office. I'm not going to lie, right? Like, I was excited about that. I was like, sure. oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Um but in this case, you know, I, I think it's – there's like a solid baseline of 
what you can expect from Budenholzer in the position that he would be hired for. Um, so, yeah, I, I just overall, I think as obvious as it may seem to some that, oh, man, Budenholzer is the guy. I personally am fine with them going through their process. And if they – like, I might disagree with who they pick. Um, but I do think that there's – I think it's good to know that there has been a process. Yeah. And – you know, if they do come to a different decision, I, I I know that there's this idea that, you know, if they hire Blatt, it's because him and Mills are, like, best friends, right. whatever it is, uh, which isn't even that clear to me that they were, like... It's funny. Well, it's funny that it, we've come around to this point where now Blatt is, like, the LOL Knicks, like, they're idiots. He, this is just another crony pick. When he was, like, the basketball intelligentsia, like, dream child when the Cavs hired him. Right. You right. know? Well, you know, it's... It, but it, with it, good it comes reason, the territory like, of the Knicks, right? But with good reason. I mean, this guy's been wildly successful. Like, yes, he seems a little weird and dorky, and like the LeBron thing is a thing. But I'm so down for weird and dorky. Yeah, like, I'm I mean, so down for weird because, like, what have we had as our coaches? We've, like, we've never had. I've never Jeff Van Gundy. Last, I mean, yeah, that's that was the last coach though that you that you legit felt like okay, this guy is a tactician. Yeah. Right. Where Woodson, I'm not going to lie. I think that in retrospect, looking back at it, maybe in the time, what probably frustrated a lot of Knicks fans was one. It didn't seem like he understood, uh, why that team was successful as it was. (laughs) But more than that, I think that with Woodson, you kind of saw in the playoffs, like this guy, there's a cap there. There's a cap with how good we're going to be with him as our coach, because yeah, he's used all his bullets in the chamber in the season, right? Like, there was no new wrinkles. There was nothing added to the play. It was it was just the same stuff that we saw in the regular season, except everybody's prepared for it in the playoffs. So, you know, it, it kind of... it, it <laughs> You're going to get found out. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I like I said, like, in retrospect, I think that we... And I again, I include myself in this. I think we probably lost our shit a little bit too fast on Woodson. Um, because that year after, man, that was a disaster with a lot of things that he was being asked to juggle with, like J- JR going, you know, crazy, Shumpert <laughs> sure. doing his whole, like, I'm supposed to be, like, I need the rock. Like, dude, you can't shoot. You have a stupid haircut. You wear a shoe on your head in a dumb music video. Like, shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, you wear clown makeup in your music videos. Yeah, you're an idiot. Go, go away. Um, but yeah, I mean, anyway, I guess my point is more to that. Yeah, Blatt might be weird and dorky, but it's like, you know, I think it's, like you said, it's it's so obvious looking at his resume that the guy, I mean, I think the, the question with him to me isn't about can he coach, it's is he able to manage NBA personalities, which is a totally different thing than what he has to do over in Europe where, you know, the coach and like the, the organization essentially always take priority over players because good players leave. Right, like that's kind of how it works. Sure, and I mean, like, yeah, and I want to say this because I've said it. I've really been, you know, campaigning hard uh, for Bud and or Bood, um, but I do think like other people could do the job. I think Bud's the best candidate, but we also don't know. Like, you know, he he was that like half GM role. Like, how into you know having the final say is he? I, obviously, like, he's not gonna get that in New York, but, like, does he want even more than they're comfortable with? You know what I mean? Like, how, like, what kind of vibes was he sending off there? And just one last thing on, like, the process of what the Knicks have been going through. If Bud's your guy, um, 
and if he's really your guy, some people have been like, lock him up now. Like, he's not going to run to, you know, Milwaukee the second that job opens if he was serious about the Knicks. And if the Knicks are serious about being someone or being a destination that's actually attractive to people, like anything in life, it's like act like it. Like, right. yeah. you're like, a superstar, like, act, like this is a desirable job or whatever, like act like it. And like you're not in a rush because whoever gets to coach the Knicks and like be on that like train from the ground up with actual competent management. You know, these are a lot of like what ifs. <laughs> we don't know this for sure yet, but you know, with like a budding superstar and Christos Porzingis and you get to like get all this glory, like you're going to wait while we conduct a thorough search and we make sure that we're doing the right thing. And it shouldn't be an issue to whoever that right coach winds up being. Yeah, and I, I think it's even it would be more unprofessional if they had scheduled all these interviews and then, you know, they meet with Budenholzer and they're like, oh man, we definitely want to hire this guy, and then just cancel all the other interviews. Like, I think that's that's bullshit, and it's also it limits your own. Like, okay, let's say Budenholzer had a great interview. I assume he did because you know he looked at least to me like a very good coach when he was in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, so I assume that he went into that interview and killed it. But you know, like, why do you want there, what is the rush here? Like that's what I don't really <laughs> yeah. understand. And like, like, and like you said, if and, and like, well, like if they're competent, like what could he have possibly done in the interview that they're like, oh my god, like forget it, you know, like never knew that you like to shoot threes. Like, we were good, <laughs> but then like you told this great joke. Like what could they do to have done that? You're like, all right, now you got to cancel everything else. Right. Like, and and there's always a possibility that somebody else blows you away, right? So right. why? Why would you not want to take that? But anyway, I mean, I'm I'm totally fine with the process. I actually have an entire theory that I'll get into regarding their process when we talk about the guy who we're going to talk about a little bit. Okay. So to wrap up the uh, thread on Juwan Howard. <laughs> it's a really in-depth conversation on Juwan Howard. <laughs> <laughs> have, we, have we short-shrifted his candidacy? What, what percent chance does Juwan Howard have at, uh, at landing this job? Okay, so I'll just do, do my theory now because I don't think that he's being interviewed to to be a head coach. I think that uh, this is just my theory. I'm I could be, you know, full of shit. But my theory is there's there was a report today from Berman that uh, the three guys that have kind of separated themselves were Blatt, Budenholzer, and Fizdale. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, my theory is that the interviews for Brega, Howard, and Larinaga are all to be like lead assistants. So for Fisdale, it would be Howard because they work together in Miami. Uh, for Budenholzer, it would be Brega because they work together in San Antonio. And then this is the only one that's kind of a reach. But Larinaga, before he uh, coached in, before he became a coach for the Celtics as an assistant. And he actually coached for the Erie Bayhawks, which used to be the Knicks G League team. Right. Pretty interesting. Um, but he had a really long coaching career in Europe, and I'm just assuming that he probably crossed paths with Blatt. So um, I kind of think that the, those three interviews were for lead assistant positions more than they were about for head coaching. That's just my thinking. Very interesting. I like that. Also, Perry uh, coached John Howard at Michigan. Uh, yes, that's true. Yeah. He, he and, is, uh, like, here's what I know about Juwan Howard. Like I said, 45 years old, 19 <laughs> year career in the NBA. His last three years were with the Heat, where he was part of two championship teams. And he became vile 
during that time. Yes, he did, of course, as anyone does who dons that disgusting half-assed uniform. Although, actually, their city uniforms are pretty great. But Yeah, well, fuck them. I mean, yes. Um, he joined the staff <laughs> immediately after retiring, and he worked in player development in his first season, along with being an assistant. His only head coaching experience came in the 2016 Summer League, where he led the Heat's teams in Orlando and Las Vegas. His duties have included working with the Heat's big men and serving as their defensive coordinator. Dan Craig was actually their lead assistant this season. Um, whoever that might be. Like you said, um, did you say this, that Scott Perry was uh, an assistant coach at Michigan? You said yeah, that. You yeah, said, yeah. That's how he, he started. Coached, right? uh, yeah, he, was, he coached Howard there. Uh, and then, you know, I, I, uh, Perry also was in the Orlando front office when uh, Borrega was with um, Orlando. Right. And so he got to see him pretty up close, I think, for a while. So Yeah, and he was yeah, an I interim mean, I, there for a little bit. Uh, so yeah. So does that mean that if... We hired Bariga. This is just another Nick's crony getting hired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. The Blatt thing really is funny. I know the LeBron, like, it's not something that you can just ignore, but he really was a darling of people who consider themselves smart. It's probably not the same people who are now being like, how stupid to hire Blatt. But, oh, I mean, even when he got fired, like, Kyrie came out and said that he thought Blatt was a great... I mean, it was. Uh, it's so obvious now that, you know, after Kyrie forced his way out that, like, everything that occurred there was just to please LeBron and Kyrie, you know, put up with it because it's LeBron. Like, you know, they won a lot, but they had a fantastic winning percentage under Blatt. I mean, yes, it's with LeBron, but like he didn't fuck it up from that perspective. Like they won. They won to the finals. Yeah. Their defense was really good. And like, yeah, even the team that got to the finals, I mean, look, I'm not saying that he had the toughest job in the world, but people forget like that year that they got to the finals, that team was just like, totally beat up in the playoffs like love went out in game three of the first round yeah Kyrie was in and out of the lineup and then he was out for good after after overtime of game one of the finals and like their their finals lineup it was I mean that shit was brutal man they were starting like Delhi and Shumpert I mean Jesus (laughs) yeah it was amazing I mean it was a super huge effort from LeBron but you know like Black didn't get in the way or anything um so but yeah, um, Juwan Howard, last last tidbit on him. He has appeared in both The West Wing and Arliss. Really? So he's yeah comfortable underneath the big lights of Arliss, that terrible show. <laughs> That's maybe the worst thing HBO put out. Oh, one, one conspiracy theory to close out this segment before we move on to grading our boys Cornette and Isaiah Hicks. Um, so this comes from Bondi in the Daily News. Here's the quote. Prior to Howard's interview being reported by ESPN, a source told the Daily News that rumblings around the league are that the Knicks hire will be somebody not mentioned in the media. Are you buying this? Even... No, I don't buy that. <laughs> so don't they, buy... They, conduct, they conducted 10 interviews and they're just going to hire somebody out of their ass? Like, no, I don't <laughs> yeah, buy that's that. That's so funny. They're like, it's actually the, our equipment manager. You know that yeah. guy who you always see on the telecast, but you don't know who he is? Um, yeah. yeah, I think Bonnie just like I'm just gonna throw this in there, and see if anyone notices. I mean, I, I I I think that you can get a league source to tell you anything, and I genuinely think that I don't think anybody is. I mean, I have no idea what the Knicks are gonna do. I mean, I I, have a, I think that they're picking between these three because that's what I've read, but um, I I really don't know what they're gonna do, and. It is driving me crazy. I'm just like refreshing Twitter every five minutes. Like it's the trade deadline. Like, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's pretty annoying. I actually today I, I set 
I, I've never done this, but I made a, I set my my Twitter up so that I get mobile notifications if uh, if Woj or Shams. Yes, shouts to Shams. Woj gets yeah. all the shine, but God, Woj is such a butt face too. I dislike him <laughs> so much. None of that here. Just like the White House correspondents, I kiss everyone's <laughs> ass who may pot, who may possibly help me get a job at some point. So you will not speak poorly of Woj. He's a beautiful human being. No, see, this is perfect. I set you up. See, I I insulted him, and you defended his honor. That's that's how we do it here. You know how this works. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> You're good, my friend. I want to um, do some year in review stuff. Start off by talking about Luke Cornett. But before we do that, just want to remind you guys that you are listening to Lockdown Knicks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network in the entire universe. Whew. Okay. Luke Cornett. This is the first. We're starting from the bottom, moving our way up to the top, doing just kind of, uh, you know, a quick little, you guys were here all season long. We don't need to get into, like, ridiculous detail. <laughs> But a little recap of everyone on the Knicks, their roster, and then their coaches and their front office. Um, we're going to start with Luke Cornett. Uh, he played, he of course was one of the first two Knicks on a two-way contract, him and Isaiah Hicks. So we're starting with those guys today. Luke Cornett, uh, two-way contracts there. They can spend up to 45 days with their NBA team. He played 20 games for the Knicks, averaging 16.3 minutes per game. So not a super hefty workload, but hey, he's like the 16th or 17th man. On the roster, didn't even exist as a position until this year. Uh, let's start by talking about. Do you want to go positive or negative first? Uh, let's just get the bad out of the way. Right, let's start let's with the, the negatives. Out. Do you want to? Do you want to name a negative that you see? Uh, we're doing Hicks. Uh, Luke Cornett first. Cornett. Oh yeah, with Cornett. I mean, he's not exactly the most. I mean, he's he's just never been a great rebounder. Yes, um, does not so rebound like, the ball well. Yeah, that that's a big thing. Uh, then, I mean, to be honest, I don't I don't really have a huge problem with most of what he does. It's yeah. it's kind of more about whether he can become good at what he does. Because even with the rebounding, like I don't I don't. So with with Chris Stapps, right? When I watch him and I watch him rebound. I get really annoyed because I'm like, oh, man, you're not even putting a body on somebody and you're just straight up watching. With Cornette, I just feel like he just gets bullied and pushed out of the way. And So, like, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, no, I agree with you. I mean, I, I would say physicality is, like, something that, like, he could definitely improve, and that is um, definitely extends to rebounding. I mean, offensive rebounding, I'm kind of of the new school where I think it doesn't matter so much, so I don't care so much about that. But his defensive rebounding sucks. Um, it's yeah, he's got to get that over twenty percent. It's yeah, it's fifteen point three percent is his defensive rebounding percentage, which is thirtieth percentile for a big. But I'm sort of, I just started this theory the other night while I was drunk. But I feel like rebounding maybe just doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> like of all like yeah. the big time NBA skills, and obviously like it matters on some level. But I'm starting to think it's because like when's the last time you're like, man, this team. Like, they would have been nothing without, like, Dennis Rodman or whatever. You know, like, obviously, like, he made a big impact I um, think what in his Hall of Fame career. But, like, how much is that? I need to, like, actually look into this. But I feel like it's got some truthiness to it. I think I think it's more about... Well, so I think offensive rebounding is less important. Well, it, and it, that's also 
very personnel specific. So mm-hmm. like, so like I don't care that Cornette does an offensive rebound because he jacks up. I mean, he's sixty-three he, percent of his shots are from three, yes. right? So he's playing on the outside. So I'm not expecting him to like run in there and like you know fucking body dudes or something inside, right? That's just not what I'm expecting from right. him. So I'm fine with him not being a factor there. But I do think defensive rebounding still matters a ton, and I think um, it's fine if your bigs don't grab rebounds. But what they have to be, they have to keep their guys off the offensive glass because yes. it's fine. Like I think that a lot of teams are kind of even. I, I'm not sure. Uh, this is just again another theory of mine, but it it seems like a lot of teams almost want their guards and wings to get grab, grab come and grab the board so that they can just immediately push. So yeah. I'm I'm fine with my bigs not necessarily rebounding that well individually, but I can't, like, they can't be getting mauled on the glass by their guys, right? Like, that's one thing I always liked about Robin Lopez is he, like, he's one of those guys where you just look at his numbers at at rebounding and you're like, this guy is garbage. But literally every single year of his career, the team rebounds better with him on the floor because he's clearing space out and he's making sure nobody's getting in there. Um, and I, so like, I just think that's more important and yeah, I mean, to some extent you can outweigh that stuff with like, like I've had this debate with so many people on Twitter before where like, oh, KP has to play the five, KP has to play the five. And I'm like, look, if he has to play the five, that's fine. But like, he's got to be stronger on the glass. And it's like, well, he doesn't have to be stronger because we'll just outscore teams and blah, blah. And it's like, all right, look, like those benefits, if you're going to go that way, then you need to have way better supporting talent than we have. And I don't know, even then it just seems like, you know, like I watch the Warriors and I feel when they play small, they can play small, not just because they're awesome offensively. And I mean, obviously they're really good on defense in that lineup too, but like they, they finish possessions. That's part of playing good defense is finishing possessions. If you play good fucking defense and then you give up a rebound, really doesn't matter that you played good defense. It's actually, look, I think you, I'm pretty sure we've talked about the most infuriating thing um, as even when you're playing like pickup and shit, when you, you know, you're playing and you have a possession, you get a stop and then you just give up a rebound. It's, it's like deflating. the most deflate. It's, it's so really deflating. deflating. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I almost feel like the like modern thing for uh, a big man to do is that kind of Robin Lopez esque, just like boxing out because a lot of times the balls take like weird long caroms with like the more three point shots there are. Um, and so like, not only is it better to like get the big guy, your big guy out of there so the guard can like clean that up. But then like you said, the guard can then push it in transition. Like that's, we know how like hugely important that is and how like efficient it is to, you know, get out and run. Um, but, uh, oh yeah. I don't like his post-ups. I don't like these weird possessions where we throw the ball into him in the post. It's like, like he's not a post player. No, he basically, I mean, one of the things I like about Cornette, like you said, it's he kind of – if he can develop into like a capable backup NBA big, he just plays so similar similar to Chris Stapps that it would allow the Knicks to kind of like not have to like change up their style. So one thing Chris I Stapps really – so I mean there are two things that he does – or there are two things that he does a lot of. One of them I'm pretty sure is sustainable. The other I'm very much less sure. So – He's a he's a solid rim protector. Yeah, like, it's very noticeable when you watch him play. He affects shots at the rim, um, and he's fundamentally sound when he challenges shots. Like you don't see him get a lot of fouls for, like he's very content 
to contest a shot and go straight up and affect it without trying to make like the hero block. You yeah, know what I, I mean? I thought I remembered him like fouling more and was like, is that true? And then I looked up his rate and it's it's good. Like it's he totally yeah. doesn't foul a lot. Yeah, and and so like I think that's one that's that's the one thing that he has that I'm 100% sure he is good at. Like he is good at that and he will be good at that. Um I know I'm almost positive about that. What I'm a little less certain about is his three-point shooting. So he finished the year at 35%. Yeah, he um, finished strong. Because I was like, yeah. I remember for a while it was like, well, his one skill is supposed to be shooting, and he was like 25% for months. Yeah. With not a lot of minutes, but he wasn't killing it. Yeah. And so the thing is, in college, he shot career. He played four years in college, right? So this isn't like a little baby that's coming in. Right. He played in college. So over four years, he shot 32% from three. Um, now, the the flip side is when he went to the G League, I apparently killed it down there. I think he shot like over he shot over forty percent from three, mm-hmm. um, and he played a pretty substantial amount of minutes down there. I'm assuming because uh, he was there for most of the year, so that's probably a pretty decent sample. So maybe he, you know, a lot of times these guys like Channing Frye didn't become a good three point shooter until later in his career, right? I mean, that's just it. I don't know what I'm not saying. Cornette is going to become Channing Fry, but I mean essentially that's I mean that's what you're hoping for. It right? is a that rhythm he... thing. And obviously, right? And like like I don't think Hornacek did the greatest job at like keeping guys like in rhythm and, you know, adjusting the rotations to like make sure like they nailed it. But even forgetting that, like he didn't get a lot of minutes with the Knicks. You know, like he averaged what was it, sixteen a game. And like you'd watch him and he'd come in like completely ice cold and he missed like three or four threes in a row and then shoot three more in like five minutes and make those last three and he'd be like three for seven you're like oh shit that's okay no and i i love that about him actually yeah. because like you need like we talked about this with frank all the time right where he would like pass up open shots because he'd missed his first two shots or something yeah. um but you know like it's awesome to just have it like he would just come in and if he was open he was like all right i'm jacking this up i don't give a shit about you're supposed to do. if you're gonna yeah. do it do it the dumbest thing you could do is like be like all right for like the first three shots i'm gonna like be modern as shit and just let it fly every time i'm somewhat open and then stop after those three miss like then you've just got all of the risk and none of the reward from that approach yeah. and and what i really liked is not just so uh, probably the thing i weirdly liked about him the most is i just i felt like when he played he there are guys that don't necessarily rack up big numbers or anything like it might not show up but the team just plays more together when he's in that's what it looked like because he was always willing to go set a screen and pop and then and it was quick decisions right if he if he got the ball in the pop he was either going to shoot that or if there was a closeout he was immediately swinging it there was none of this you know like like KP does this a lot and he's awesome. Like he's way better than Cornette. So it makes sense for him to do it. But like, you know, there are times where KP would like pump fake and then set up like this world's slowest crossover and go nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, like it's fine. I'm fine with him doing that, but it's what is good about for role players. I think just making quick decisions and keeping things flowing matters so much more than it does for stars right because stars you have to give a certain level of like leeway to kind of express themselves um but i just liked with Cornette that everything was a quick decision everything was and and he changes the geometry of how you're playing because he is taking so many threes so you know even if 
even when he was ice cold, it just creates more space. Yeah, I mean, and this is one of the things that, you know, like when people talk about wanting KP to be a center, obviously there are some issues with that, like, you know, defensive rebounding. Um, but one of the, obviously, the huge benefits is pulling a big guy out to the three-point line. And someone like Cornette, who struggled for, like, so much of the year with his three-point shot, people still did respect it. And you saw it, like, it actually, the team as a whole, um, they shot better at the rim when he was out there. Like, at a pretty big clip. Like, they, yeah. their um, shooting at the rim went up 2.3 percentage points, which is, like, sort of small, but it's also 74th percentile for bigs. Yeah, and I, I think I'm pretty sure we shot more threes uh, with him on the floor too, which might just be because he was so willing to pull the trigger. But in general, that's also a good thing. Um, and yeah, then they the, shot but, more threes. They um, they they were faster. I don't know how much of that was just playing with young guys, but they had like they got into transition offense 1.5 percent more when he was on the court, which is like again doesn't seem that much, but is 82nd percentile for bigs. I don't know if that's just because he was playing with the young guys. I mean, I'm sure there was some of that, like. Yeah. When we talk about his stats, we do have to give the small sample caveat because he didn't play like that much. But no, I, I just I just always felt like I, I'm pretty sure I meant I said it even a few times, but I don't know whether he's good or not. But I do like the way we played when he was on the floor. Yes, um, he didn't get and, in the way of the team playing like a good style of winning basketball. And if he just taught KP how to set screens, like he set screens, that would be enough because he's just a way like. He's not some monster. I mean, he's not like Steven Adams just leveling dudes and creating space. But he was a good screen setter. Yeah. Whereas, you know, KP likes to do that, like, half-ass bull. I feel like really shit on KP law on this podcast for no reason. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, well, I the understanding is you know how, like, once in a lifetime he can be. But you're trying yeah. to make him that player. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, he clearly listens to Lockdown Knicks to improve <laughs> his game. Um, no, but, yeah, I just, you know, KP does that, like, kind of, like, fake screen where he sets it but really just slips it um yes whereas Cornette, like he makes the contact and then he moves um so sure. even though he's not you know like i said he's not steven adams and just clearing out the lane for guys he is creating this that little bit of separation um and that you know that's kind of where defensive breakdowns start to happen because there's just a little bit of little gaps and, and stuff like, that appear and, and clyde loves him and he he kept calling him like the consummate basketball player and like comparing him to will chamberlain by the end of the yeah. uh, or bill russell clyde, it was bill clyde, russell <laughs> yeah clyde had some really interesting takes towards the end of the season i don't know what was going on with he, him this year. he's letting it fly he's letting his freak flag fly like never before he was like Cornette doesn't bend his knees when he blocks shots so he's like bill russell but I like I think what Clyde is like seeing is like he does do just like a lot of little things. Where you're like this guy, he's not just like a big dude. Like I, he's a basketball player. Like no, I think, he knows how to play. Like he I think he's got play. nice something we haven't said. I think he's got a nice like soft touch around the rim. Like he he shot seventy one percent of the rim. He didn't take it to the rack like maybe enough, but like you said, he's been focusing on his three point shot. So you know it's I'm not gonna kill him for that. But when he got there, he was seventy one percent of the rim. That's eighty second percentile for bigs. Um, and he actually finished well through contact, I thought, and that's kind of backed up by the numbers. His and one percentage, um, which um, is the percentage of shots he gets fouled on that he makes, um, he made fifty percent of the shots he got fouled on. Um, yeah, which is like which a is only number. six, but you know it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he was one no, of no, two no. on the shots he got. No, fouled but on. it's like sometimes you just have to kind of go with what you see, and and like I think we both touched on it here. It's just. I don't know. When you watch him play, 
you feel like oh, like I mean there are guys that we've watched play over the years the Knicks where you're like dude this guy has no idea what the hell he's doing but with Cornette it always I mean I never watched him play and thought he doesn't know where he's supposed to be or he doesn't know what he's supposed to do or he doesn't know his role like he always kind of knew what he was supposed to do why he's out there uh what the expectations of him were and he I, I don't know I guess to, to some extent the best way to put it is he he played within himself yeah I mean like he looked pretty bad on a couple of defensive possessions where he seemed oh, yeah. sort of lost maybe but generally speaking I would definitely I mean especially offensively he never seemed confused out there um, yeah like but I, I mean his I think defense his needs feeling, some work <laughs> yeah I mean I think the ideal scenario for him is like really like what you would ideally ideally be hoping for is something like Channing Fry uh, which is a really solid that would be an amazing get to get um you know, that'd be an amazing find for somebody that basically you got for free. Yeah. But, you know, even if he's just, I mean, I, I don't know what, <laughs> if he's just a 34% three-point shooter, that's that would be fine. I think that would be a solid player for now. And he's young. I mean, he's 20. He's going he's gonna to be 23 next year. Like, he's not, you know, he's not like a high-ceiling guy, but he definitely still has, I mean, that's an age where you can totally get better. So I, I think that he's definitely, I, I expect him to be kept and... I would want him to be kept because yeah. a good version of him is de- a definite NBA player. Oh, absolutely. You you can see his path to being a successful NBA player really easily. So that being said, we got to give out grades. The people want grades. How would you grade this season from Luke Cornett? Typical, like, you know, normal yeah. school grading, A through F kind of vibe. Uh, B minus. B minus. It's funny because I, I wrote B. And then, like, I got gassed up during this segment, and I was like, B+. Plus. But that's probably okay. a little bit. His defense, it's, it's pretty poor. I wanted, I just, His rim protection is good. He just, like, can't move. But maybe he can. It, like, I think probably he was in these weird lineups with people who hadn't played together a lot. Yeah, he probably played a lot with Moody A, so. <laughs> His on-off numbers, like, aren't good, but it's... He only I, I, like, played I with, hate, like, the worst yeah. players, so... And I, I hate using on-off unless... I just think there needs to... Like, I'm not, I haven't I haven't dug into his on-off, so I don't know, like... They're not the worst like, ever, I'm, but... It, they, I, I'm, I'm more in the sense of, like, I don't know who he played with. Because I think yeah. when you look at on-off, you have to look at who these lineups are, are coming in with most of the time. Because, you know, if he plays with the next guy we're talking about and Moutier and, like... Lance or something. <laughs> I'm not ex- like it's really hard <laughs> no. to be like oh, Cornet is killing us out there. Yeah, on off um, numbers to me are the most interesting when it's like uh, someone who everyone thinks is good who plays major minutes, and you're like, well, why is the team worse with him on the floor? Like when it's right. like you know, well, DeRozan's like that. Like his entire career, he's been like that. It's really interesting. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, that is pretty fun. interesting. No, but, and that's the kind of thing where you're like, well, what's going on here? When it's some. Scrub player who's only playing during like a tanking season with like other tanking people. It's really hard to extrapolate. Yeah, like what's yeah, going he, on he and he can't, he didn't even get the benefit of like he didn't come in in the beginning of the year when we were playing more normal lineups and actively trying to win games. Right, right. so it's really hard to look at his on off and just take them at face value. Whereas somebody like uh, say Frank, you're a little bit more optimistic about what they're telling you because a good portion of his minutes came during that period of the season where we were actually trying to compete. Yeah, um, there was one Luke Cornett game, I forget who it was against, but 
Jeff left him in when they were just like, and he, Jeff made some dumb lineup decisions or whatever, but this was clearly a thing where he was like, I'm just playing these guys all the third quarter. And like, they went down by like 20 immediately, and he like left him in to finish it, and they went on like a little bit of a run, but then. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, back in, back in his day, he used to make 7 out of 10 for mid range. <laughs> uh, fuck you, Jeff Hornacek. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. It's um, cool. He's not Woj. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking to get a job from him so I can be completely mean and unfair. Um, all right, I want to talk about Isaiah Hicks. I want to give him some year-end gradage. But before we do that, just want to remind you guys that you're listening to Locked On Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And if you like what you hear, head on over to iTunes and rate us five stars, please. Once again, that's Locked On Knicks. I shouldn't say please. That's the desperate thing. Not... <laughs> Not, not beg like begging for five stars is one thing. Please, I didn't like the way that came out. That just didn't sound good. Please give me five stars. Please. <laughs> After I just said "fuck you," Jeff Hornacek for no reason. That really deserves five stars. There's no other way to react to that. There's probably so many of those "fuck you," Jeff Hornacek you've been holding in all year. <laughs> there are probably I, so many. It's funny. I was about to say I try to be objective. I don't. I try to like be fair. It's, you try to you try to appear to be objective, which I respect. Yes, that there we go. That's a, I'm not, you know, like some like White House correspondent again. I'm me. I'm just trying to be me out here. You know what I mean? Hey, you know, you can't be making jokes at White House dinners. No, you can't be doing that. I love like these just like screen grabs of the white of like guys in bow ties being like, "This joke was not funny." You're like, thanks, thanks, Tucker. Like, let me know what joke is funny, and I'll laugh. This is actually an NPR blog now. This is an NPR pod right now. <laughs> All right, let's get out of this. Where am I? Isaiah Hicks. He was the other dude on a two-way contract. Uh, he played 18 games for the Knicks, and he averaged 13.3 minutes per game. Do you have anything positive to say about Isaiah Hicks? Yeah, the one positive thing I'll say about Isaiah Hicks is... There's two positive things I'll say about Isaiah Hicks. He tries really hard, and he... Um, like, I, I think he actually does have really... He's pretty quick on his feet for a big guy. So I always thought that he did a good job when he got switched out onto the perimeter, but the problem is, like, he would be in good position. He would have played a defensive possession well. And then he would just he would do the Lance thing, right? Where like he plays a really good defensive position, and you know sometimes you just get beat on defense. That's fine, like that happens. Yeah. The one thing you can't do in that position is foul. Like you can't just commit a stupid foul. Um. And then you know there are times where he wasn't even beat. He's just in a good position, and it's like just go straight up. And instead he makes commits a stupid foul. So it's like the, even the thing that I am positive with him about, he turns into a negative because of the way he finishes the possession. Yeah. I just, like... I don't see it with him. My positive was, like, there was, like, one game where I was like, oh, I, th- I think I see why people think he might be in the NBA. And that was about it. I Like, he had decent mobility for his size. Like, I was like, oh, maybe there's, like, a lob threat in there somewhere. But he didn't shoot well, like, at all. I um, think they're just trying to find one of these... So, like, I mean, the Raptors have, um, what's his name, Pascal Siakam, right? Right. I think the Knicks are trying to find one of these, like, fours that can secretly also play five um, and bang with bigger centers to play next to KP. I think that's what they they were hoping for with Hicks. Um, and I think that's what they were trying to do with Endor, too, the year before that. So mm-hmm. I think, like, they know what they're trying to find. They just have not 
been able to. I mean, that, and that's that's kind of the type of player that's super that teams covet, right? That's that's a player that teams covet. So it's really hard for a guy like that to slip through the cracks and to find by churning the G League. If you can, I mean, that would be huge. I just don't see Isaiah Hicks developing into the guy that they hope that he can develop into. Yeah, I think, like, I, I yeah, I, I echo that. I, I get what they were trying to do. I don't think he's going to make it. I would give his season a D plus. To be I'll, give him, I'll give him, like, because I never, so with Cornette, I always thought he had skills that were interesting. With Hicks, I was kind of like, eh, you know. I mean, we'll he's like something. Like so I'll give him a. I'll give him a C because he okay. tried. He, he tried. He just like when I saw the when I looked up his height, I was like, wait, he's only six nine because he just seems like a big plodding doofus. So I was dude. Like, what I really hated about him is there were so many times. There were literally so many times Frank set him up for like a layup or like an easy shot around the rim, and he would just just fuck it up totally. That was yeah. it was really annoying. And oh I yeah, asked, his rim percentage. The, he shot sixty-two percent, which you're like, oh, that's good, but it's twenty-fifth percentile for bigs. Like, yeah, and and probably the thing that bothered me the most this year that anybody could do on the team was not make shots that were set up by Frank when they were like good shots. That bothered me more than anything. And I immediately and I immediately hated you. <laughs> Yo, that's very fair. From a, fa- I relate so hard to that as like a fan, especially when it's someone like Frank who doesn't have you know. The Dennis Smith Jr. low efficiency counting stats for like all the Mark Jackson stands to start salivating over. You're yeah, like, at least give us some assists. Come on, Hicks. No, I think I think the best thing that happened with Frank this year though is how it really. So it went from the Knicks passed on Dennis Smith to draft this project to the Knicks passed on Donovan Mitchell to draft this project. But mm-hmm. you know, I look. I, I'm not an expert, but I think that. He got drafted 13th. So when you get drafted 13, I'm just doing the math. I think that means 12 teams passed on you. So <laughs> People who, yeah, I mean, like, the same people who think the Knicks are, like, so stupid for passing on Mitchell, who, of course, is, like, a superstar. Like, he's who, a, and who he's nobody, amazing. And no, literally, I guarantee you, there was, like, five people on in, on Twitter that were saying the Knicks should draft Donovan Mitchell. And if right. you're one of them, congrats. Like, right. really good call. But the vast majority of people, and not even Nick's Twitter, just general Twitter, this idea that like everyone knew. I saw Alan Hahn post some dumb shit like last week, where he he was like, "Oh man, like this this physicality, can't believe the Knicks passed on." It's like, dude, you were you were not writing for Den- like Donovan Mitchell. Get Yo, the fuck out of here. Pour one out for Alan Hahn, who just went to the dark side so hard. I don't think he's ever gonna get me a job. But like, I remember reading the Knicks fix, and it was good. Did I imagine that? When he had that block, no, I think his like write his writing. I don't know something happens between his actual writing because I read his Knicks fix sometimes now for like MSG Network or whatever, and it's right. like all right, it, it's fine. I mean, it's it's very like over the top bullish because he's working for MSG, but it's fine. Like he drops good tidbits in there, but yeah, like something happens between there and then his persona on Twitter and then on his show, and it's like, dude. I hate whatever you've become now. He just decided, he's like, I can be this, like, a kind of, like, annoying-ish Stephen A-type personality. And, like, you know, like, I don't know. I, I try to, 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 you know, give the people a show here, but I, I don't try to be, like, actively, like, Well, as a reference, as a reference to your favorite show, we're not here to talk about my personality. <laughs> if you remember that scene. I don't know if you remember that scene. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> The intervention scene. 
<laughs> oh my god. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I knew you were making a Sopranos reference, but like the exact line, I was like, hmm, I can't. Oh god, I'm gonna have to rewatch. If it's if there's one thing I want our listeners to take away from this. It's that I'm a phony when it comes to how much I love The Sopranos. I don't know it as well, <laughs> well as I should. But it's that. Also, it's the greatest show of all time. People who say it's The Wire, they're well-meaning. And like they're good people. But Well, like there's a difference between the most impactful, like layered, deep show of all time versus the best show of all time. Because... Like, I can't just sit down and watch The Wire, man. Like, I love The Wire, but I can't just sit down and watch that. Because that stuff, it's hard, man. I'm like, man, I just hate everything after I watch that show most of the time. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. It's like the yeah, best Atlantic amazing. article that ever became a television show. I like, I'll right, it's, it, it's amazing. But The Sopranos, like, I can literally put on any episode at any time, and I'm happy. It's the funniest show of all time. I, especially when you start realizing that you're that you find half of the murders on a show hilarious. <laughs> that, that's what you know. Like the darkest, when Polly kills that old lady in his mom, in his mom's old age home, like he's robbing her too. That's he's, the best part. Cause he's robbing her. She, he fears that she puts money under the mattress and she walks in. He's like, I'm just looking for you. I want to say hello. And he's like in her bedroom. And she's like, I always knew you were a little piece of shit. Like, cause he was like a kid when she was, you know, an old lady. Oh, and it's so it's so disturbing. But like the third time I watched it, I just started laughing so hard. And my girlfriend's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "No, it's funny. It's funny." Like, no, I just got a text message. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, I think this is a good time to wrap it up. Uh, Isaiah X F triple minus. I hope he dies. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't really, Isaiah. I don't. I'll say it for the, for the people who don't get when I'm joking. I don't hope Isaiah. Dice. It's ridiculous, which is why it's a joke. Ashwin, thank you so much for joining me. Where can the people find you online? Uh, I I have a Twitter. Yeah, what is it's it? It's at Schwinny Poo. Yeah. Give opinions about stuff on there. Been writing a lot more about soccer lately than uh, basketball with Nick's season over, though. So, yeah. Ball's but most life. of my tweets are still basketball. Ball's life. Nick's season never ends. That's true. Let's get this coaching search done with. Sorry, I just dropped my pen. Oh, let me pick that up. That was fun, right? Always love talking to Ashwin. Got into some weird stuff there. I want to apologize for saying F you, Hornacek. That's not who I am. He did his best. He was just the wrong guy. He was just a little bit of a dummy. But he did his best. You know? I love you, Jeff. I wish you nothing but the best going forward. All right, that's it for us for today's episode of Locked On Knicks. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. If you got a moment, rate us on iTunes, subscribe to the show, tell your friends about the show, follow us on Twitter at Locked On Knicks or NBA Injury Report. Be chill to each other, spay and your pets if it's yellow, no, if it's brown, push it down, always salt the pasta, water, and pray for Kanye West. I don't know what he's going through, but it must be something bad because he's looking a little like a jerk. And tune in tomorrow for another episode of Locked On Knicks. Peace!